Amen. Well, hey, listen, before we go any further with this, I, I want to thank you. I want to appreciate you. You guys, two years ago, right now, this time of the year, two years ago, you welcomed me and my family in with open arms. We have felt loved and appreciated and welcomed from day one. And we know, I wish I had time to tell the whole story. Some of you know how that came to be, the miracle of God that that was and how all that happened and how God spoke to Kathy, not me, <laughs> Kathy, and, and how God worked in that situation. Total miracle. And I just want to say thank you. You guys are absolutely amazing. We would rather be no other place in the world than at New Life Church in Canton, Georgia. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, we are in week three of conversations. If you're visiting today, you kind of came in uh, in the middle of the movie, but that's okay because all of these are kind of individual uh, questions. And, and you guys have supplied the, the material for this. A few weeks back, we pulled you and you asked the questions about life and the Bible and current events, and that's what we pulled for the material. Obviously, we can't get to every one of them, but we're trying to get to as many as we possibly can. And last week, we hit one of the most popular questions in all of Christianity. Are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? If you missed that, you can go back to newlifecanton.com and watch that online. But basically, we talked about the fact that this generation that we're living in is different than all previous generations. We talked about those characteristics that set it apart and the fact that those are signs that we, in fact, could be living in the, I do, I believe we are. Because of those differences, we are living. Now, I'm not going to predict a date. I'm not going to predict a time. I'm not even going to say necessarily for sure it's going to be this generation. I think Jesus could return at any moment. Amen? If you missed that, come and or go back, go online and watch that at newlifecanton.com. And uh, before we jump into today's question, I want to reiterate how fun this Wednesday night is going to be. You do not want to miss Fall Festival. You know the chili cook-off is not just for a competition. We're going to eat it, right? We're going to eat it, eat a lot of it, okay? And we're going to have all the sides, sour cream, cheese, the, the corn chips, all of that stuff. We're going to have desserts. And they didn't mention, they were supposed to, you got you to stay on these two, but they didn't mention, you, we want you to bring if you like, who likes to bake? Any of you likes to bake? Nobody at all. We're in trouble. Go to Kroger. Buy a pie. No, if you enjoy baking, we would love to have your pies, your fresh pies. If you don't, go to Publix and get one. Nobody will know the difference. They do pretty good stuff over there. All right, so bring a dessert, bring a pie, and let's enjoy the fellowship. We're going to have games. We're going to have hayride. We're going to have uh, inflatables. One of the inflatables is an obstacle course. It's this massive thing, and I'm going to take on everybody. I'm going to win. And so you need to come watch that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have fun this Wednesday night. Also, the most important night of the year. Can anybody tell me what it is? Next level. If you weren't here last Sunday, I, I've made a big deal about it. You need to take your phone out right now, right now, or write this down, this date, November the 12th. November the 12th, it's a Sunday evening, 6.30. We're going to meet right in here. It's going to be a banquet, free, amazing meal, time of fellowship. 
but most importantly, we're going to be celebrating what God has done in 2017, and we're going to be casting vision for what he's going to do. We feel like he's leading us to do in 2018. You cannot miss it. You cannot miss it. Next week, we're going to give you the opportunity uh, in the service to RSVP you and your family for that incredible event. So the question today, the question today affects every single person in this room, young, old, rich, not so rich, (laughs) every single person, male, female, it doesn't matter. Look at the screen. Why is anxiety such an epidemic problem in today's society and even, even among strong believers? And a little bit of irony in me preaching this message today, because last Sunday, if you were here, there were some things, you know, we had an incredibly hard rainstorm. I mean, some of you came in soaking wet and all of this stuff going on. And here's, here's what you didn't know. You probably saw we had leaks in the roof and all this stuff happening and, and, and like buckets in the floor and, and it, you know, it kind of looked like a mission trip or something happened in here. But, you know, we had all this going on. But what you didn't know is that we've had the roof worked on like two weeks ago and it was supposed to be fixed and it was leaking like a sieve so I'm coming in here and I'm seeing all this and I'm like ah and then I'm preaching on a subject that I'm not really that comfortable with the end times that's not my wheelhouse okay it's not necessarily what I'm drawn to and what I'm very good at so I'm 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 like oh no and then I'm Monday morning let me just make a long story short Monday morning I wake up and I'm just feeling anxious I'm just full of anxiety and then I realize I'm supposed to be writing a message to fight anxiety. And I was like, God, we've got a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. How, what am I, and God spoke to me and he said, perfect. I was like, what? What? He said, perfect. I was like, what are you talking about? Perfect. I'm like struggling here. He said, you're going to be really interested in what you find, aren't you? You're going to be very vested in the information and in this sermon. You're going to be all in it because you need it. And so I've been all up in this thing this week, and I'm telling you, I've been, I've been already using the points that I'm going to give you, and let me just tell you, they work. They work, but it has to be a daily thing, because we are daily, what, bombarded. We're going to get into all of that, but this is a problem that all of us have. In my research, I found a book called Less Fret, More Faith by Max Licato. Anybody Max Licato fans out there? Less fret, more faith. And I've never done this before, but I'm actually going to read an excerpt out of this book. I want you to listen to this and see how he captures it. Talking about anxiety. It's an edginess, a dread, a cold wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as the certainty that one is coming. Always coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax. You can't let your guard down. All peace is temporary, short term. <laughs> it's not the sight of a grizzly bear, that, but the suspicion of one or two or ten behind every tree, behind every turn, inevitable. It's just a matter of time until the grizzly leaps out of the shadows, bears its fangs, and gobbles you up along with your family, your friends, your finances, your pets, and your country. There's trouble out there, so you don't sleep well. You don't laugh as often. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle as you walk. And when others do, you give them a look. 
It's that are you that naive look. You may even give them a word. Haven't you read the news? Haven't you heard the reports? Haven't you seen the studies? I love this picture definition that Max Licato gives. Look at the screen. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Man, everybody look at me. Anxiety and fear are related. They're like cousins, but they don't live under the same roof. They're related, but they do not live under the same roof. Look at the screen. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Fear sees a threat. If somebody breaks into your house and they've got a gun, you see them and it's a threat and you are afraid because they're real. They're there. Anxiety imagines the threat constantly imagining the worst. The word anxiety comes from a Latin root word that means to choke or to squeeze. Can I demonstrate that to you real quick? Pastor Russ, I need you. This won't take long. Thank you, Russ. That is the picture of anxiety. Its strong grip interrupts your sleep, attacks your energy, and harms your overall well-being. It's choking out your joy. It's stealing your life. Can I get an amen? amen. And chances are you or someone that you love is deeply struggling with anxiety. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching an epidemic proportion. In a given year, nearly 50 million, that's one-sixth of the population, will feel the effects of a panic, a full-blown panic attack. Not talking about just feeling anxious, that's probably all of us. I'm talking about a full-blown panic attack, one-sixth, 50 million Anxiety disorders in the United States are the number one mental health issue among women and number two among men, only second to alcohol and drug abuse among men, number one and number two. Look at the screen. The United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations to us. That's not something you want to be winning, is it? The most anxious nation. How do you know, Pastor? They, they, they track it because of the medication. We are the most medicated nation in the world. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity when people get to the point where they can't even work anymore. Now listen to this. Citizens in underdeveloped countries, third world countries, only experience one-fifth of the anxiety that we do, even though they have much less 
Even, even some of the necessities of life they don't even have sometimes. Their life is very simple. It's a pursuit of, of, of work and food and taking care of their family. And as a result, because of that focus and because of, 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 of the lack of other things, they, they don't even experience as much anxiety as we do. I think that's interesting. Our college kids are feeling it as well. In a study that involved more than 200,000 freshmen, they reported an all-time low in their overall mental health and emotional stability. Listen to this. Psychologist Robert LaHaye points out, look at this quote, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. The average child, 13 or younger, is experiencing the same mental health issues as a, a committed psych ward patient of the 50s. Kids have more toys, they have more gadgets, they have more things, they have more opportunities, they have more clothes than ever, than any other generation before them. But by the time they leave home, they are far more likely to struggle with mental health issues than any other previous generation. I think it's safe to say that anxiety is a problem. It's an epidemic. And at some point, it will affect everyone here in the room and those you love. But the question that came in was why? And why does it also affect believers in Jesus who have the hope of glory? Look at the screen. One of the major causes of our anxiety is change. Constant, unrelenting change. Researchers speculate that America's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than they did in three before. In other words, our generation, this generation has experienced more change than the previous seven generations combined. That's significant change. It's fast change, and it never stops changing. Can I get an amen? It never stops, because and, and we have to try to shift with it and grow with it and move with it and do this. And, and our kids, you know, the fashions change, and they're, they're all worried. And, and we're, in my world, church world, we come up, the staff, we come up with a big idea, something to do, something great for the church, and in six months, it's old. And your world, it's the same. Constant shifting and moving and changing. Remember all those things, if you were here last week, that we talked about that set our generation apart from all the others? The things that were, I believe were signs of the end, technology, the internet, instant news, and not just instant news, but 24 hours a day, seven days. It was not just Walter Cronkite on at 7 o'clock in the evening, right? It's all the time. And it's talking heads, and all they speak is doom and gloom and bad news, social media, terrorist attacks, natural disasters, threat of nuclear war. These are the same things we talked about last week that are causing the anxiety. They are all being constantly downloaded in us. Thanks to smartphones. Satellite television, cable television, and computers. Folks, it's unrelenting. It's never ending. When I, when I wrote that down and thought about that, 
Do you know what the name devil means, Diablo? That's the Spanish version. Diabolo. I've taught this before in our Behind Enemy Lines session. Dia means throw, constant, through, throw. Dia means throw. Balo means ball. The name means literally, it's the image of him constantly throwing. Same spot, over and over, and he's very patient, over and over, and that's the picture of the world we live in, the culture we live in. It's an unrelenting, unstopping bombardment. Our great-grandparents, when the sun went down, they went down. Their minds shut off. They didn't have to think about it. It just happened. Not so with us. Come on, we turn up our brain. We overstimulate. Right before we go to bed, we open our laptops. We turn on the television. We look at our tablets. And we launch into a world of news and social media. We view the highlight reels of people we say are friends, but we don't even really know them. And we see all their best pictures and all the best angles and all their best family photos. They had just had a fight, but then they got a picture in there. They all look really good. And we're like, oh my gosh, I've got to get a post on there that looks as good, that sounds as good. That's, I, but I can't. And then right before we close our eyes, we catch a news report of Kim Jong-un or something testing another missile that's going to be able to reach Chicago. And then, oh, there's another hurricane, and there's, there's another earthquake, and there's another fire, and there's another terrorist attack. There's an idiot on a, on a crazy man shooting at people and all of this stuff. It's a wonder we can even function at all. It's a wonder we can ever go to sleep. So then we take a pill. We have a drink. We overmedicate. And that's just the world's problem. What about our personal battles and our personal anxiety? Foreclosure, cancer, going through a divorce, battling an addiction. Financial problems, parenting problems, work-related stress, kids trying to, to, to line up with the, the expectations and the grades and all of the stuff, going to college, all these things. So if you weren't feeling anxious before the service, I do what I can. I do what I can. I'm glad they took the offering before this message. I do what I can. Hey, enough of that stuff. How about that? I think we've answered the question as to why that anxiety is a problem. How about for the rest of our time, we look for a solution? How about we look to God's word for a solution? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we worship a God who never changes. Listen to me. If change is the problem... We worship, we need to understand, we worship a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a Savior who wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. His, his will is for us not to struggle. It is not his will for us to struggle. It is not his will for us to have to over-medicate because it doesn't work. It dulls our senses for a little while so that we can get through to the next day and do it all over again. Man, I feel this. Folks, come on. 
According to a recent study, the most highlighted portion of Scripture in the whole Bible is not John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's not even Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. It's not Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper. You know what it is? By far, Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything. Most highlighted portion of Scripture I think that proves everything we've been talking about. People on a vast scale are dealing with anxiety. So I want us to carefully unpack this scripture, but you know me. I want to do it in context. So we're going to move back to verse 4, and we're going to go all the way to verse 8 to see what Paul is talking about in his whole thought process. Philippians 4, starting with verse 4 in the NIV. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. <laughs> it's like if you didn't get it the first time. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Everybody say that. Every situation. Say it again. Every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that is exactly what we need, not just the peace, but we need a guard to stand at the door of our heart to keep and ward off this monster we call anxiety. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul's first answer for anxiety is a call to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not a call to a feeling but a decision. Rejoice in his sovereignty. Rejoice in his love. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his grace. Rejoice in his salvation. Rejoice in his majesty. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. You need to write that down. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Just like you chose to come into the building today, just like you chose whether or not you were going to participate during the worship, just like if you want to get paid, you will choose to get up in the morning and go to work. It's a choice. One of my favorite scriptures is Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, that there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Look at all the bad stuff that was happening to Habakkuk. These were some things that would be causing some definite anxiety. No figs, no grapes, no olives, no food, no sheep, no cattle. Come on, you, we can easily translate what that would be in our life, right? I don't have to go through that. You fill in the blank. What are you lacking? What are you being anxious? What, what, what could, you know, no, no, no money to pay the bills. My car broke down. My, my kids are struggling in school. You, you fill in the blank. 
And yet Habakkuk made the decision to rejoice in the Lord. Folks, everybody look at me. We don't just rejoice in the Lord when we feel like it. If we want to fight the anxiety in our lives, we will choose to rejoice in the goodness and the mercy of God regardless of the circumstances. And here's why. Look at the screen. Rejoicing in the Lord shrinks our anxiety and magnifies God's glory. Rejoicing in the Lord, when we choose to do that by faith anyway, even when we're not feeling it, it actually shrinks our anxiety. Trust me, I did it this week. It shrinks our anxiety and it magnifies the glory of God. Can we practice that? Can we, just, can we just put our hands together and make some noise and clap our hands for the King of Kings? And just practice. Let's practice. Rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be grateful in God my Savior. You are a good God. You are an awesome God. You are a mighty God in the pulling down of strongholds. Hallelujah. We rejoice in you this morning. Doesn't that help? Doesn't that make you feel all just, just, just that brief moment? And that's just the beginning. All right, the next step is something that I missed in studying this in previous times. I missed this. The next step is gentleness. What? I totally missed this for years. Kathy's like, yeah, you did. Anyway, <laughs> Paul say, listen, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Right in the middle of this passage about anxiety, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Greek word here for gentleness is a temperament that is seasoned and mature. A gentle person is level-headed, listen, and reacts to stress with steadiness and calmness and fairness. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> I do it really well. Shh, be quiet over there. I'm, I'm really good. Come on. We've all got some major work to do here. But here's the deal. If you melt down and lash out and get mean every time your stress level rises, you're going to burn a bunch of bridges. Now that is a million dollars worth of advice right there. You keep acting a fool every time the stress level, you're going to look around, there's really not going to be anybody there. Woo, sorry. Just forget that. Now I know that's blunt and this is blunt as well. Sometimes we are the cause of the anxiety. <laughs> and it's time to spiritually grow up and allow the Holy... This is a work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Allow the Holy Spirit, open up and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work of gentleness and teach us about gentleness. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite psalms. And David is just letting his enemies, like, God, kill them. Anybody want to pray? That? <laughs> God, smite them using those King James words. God, just take them out. Take out my enemies. Look at them. They're, they're, they're chasing me for no reason. Take them out. And then it's like the Holy Spirit speaks to him, and he, he changes the direct directions. He's like, 
Search me, O God. Wait, wait, time out. Search me and see if there is any evil way. Holy cow, God, I might be the problem. Search me, oh God. Even, even in the middle of the storm, even in the middle of the stress and anxiety, we should never make the problem worse by lashing out and taking the stress and anxiety out on the people that we love and care for and the people who are trying to help us. So how is that possible, Pastor? How, how in the world are you remain gentle when the stress goes up and when you're about to go nuts and crazy? How is it possible to be level-headed and gentle? The next verse tells us, because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is close. Because Deuteronomy 31.6 says he will never leave you or forsake you. Because the name of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Folks, that is a promise. And as believers, the question was, if you remember, why is anxiety such an epidemic problem even among strong believers? We have forgotten the promise of God that he will never leave us, that he is always with us. We have to embrace this and live this and think about those things that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will go with us all the way to the end. And if we do embrace that promise, we'll be able to keep our wits about us no matter what is happening, and we'll be able to remain gentle even in the worst of times. We're going to skip over prayer and petition and come back to it in just a minute. But let's first discuss Thanksgiving, not the holiday, although it's coming up. <laughs> Turkey Day is my favorite. Preach, that's right. Not the holiday, but the real power of gratitude. The power of gratitude. Dr. Thomason preached on that a few weeks back, the power of gratitude. He talked about it in the offering today. One of the weapons we have to fight anxiety is gratitude. Gratitude. Look at the screen. We always have something to be thankful for. Let me say it again. We always have something to be thankful for. No matter what the tragedy, no matter what the sickness, no matter what the pain, no matter what the situation, we always have something to be thankful for. When I was doing that point, I was thinking about, God reminded me of a story about Corey Ten Boom. Anybody know who that is? The Ten Booms were a Christian family in Nazi-occupied area in World War II, and it's estimated that they saved over 800 Jewish families. They hid them. Remember, they were Christians. They didn't have to do anything. They hid them in compartments in their home, and eventually they were caught and sent to concentration camps. Corey and her sister Betsy ended up in the same, actually two or three different camps. They lost their parents, lost everybody else. Well, they were transported to a new concentration camp, and 
the morning came and they woke up and, and Corey screamed out. Betsy said, what's wrong, what's wrong? She said, I'm covered, I'm covered in flea bites. They were sleeping on hay in these barracks and they, it, they were infested with fleas. And Corey just had a meltdown. She said, I, 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 can't, I, I can't do this. I can't live in these conditions. I cannot do it anymore. And Betsy crawled over there and held her hands and said, we've got to come up with something to be thankful for. She said, I can't. How could I be thankful in this place of death and suffering? And Betsy said, hey, we're together. We're together. So then they began to think of things to be thankful for. And here's what they realized. Because of the fleas, the guards stayed outside, which protected them from things you know what I'm talking about, protected them from, from rape and things like that. But it also gave them more time to sleep, more time to minister to the women in that place, more time to read the Bible, more time to pray. And so they together were thankful for the fleas. That will preach all day and twice on Sunday, but I'm not going, I'll, I'll preach next service so you can come back in here. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that is powerful. What are some of the fleas that you can be thankful for in your life and turn that perspective around, put it back in the enemy's face and in the process, help your anxiety, push that anxiety down and out. The power. Don't ever underestimate the power of gratitude. How many received a card as you came in? Everybody get one? If you, if you have a, uh, a pen or something, I, here's what I want you to do. This is just an exercise. If you don't, we can't take too much time with this. There should be some in the, in the chairs in front of you. I want you to write on one side. Don't use both sides because we're going to do something else. On one side, I want you to write at least three things that you're thankful for. You can, you can take 30 seconds and write as many as you can. This is a discipline. This is an activity that I want you to repeat when you're feeling anxious. I want you to put pen to paper. I want you to journal. I want you to put down when you're feeling anxious. Anybody need one? We've got guys walking around. We have ushers right over here. Real quickly, write at least three things that you're thankful for. I don't want this to be the last time you do this. This is an exercise. This will help you. This is powerful. Never underestimate the power of gratitude in your life to fight anxiety. All right, we're going to move on. We have to for time's sake. We've got to move on to what Paul said about prayer. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Say anything. anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. In every situation, tell God about it. Pastor, he already knows it's a process. Prayer is just as much for us as it is for him. It's a process. Look at the screen. Our primary weapon in the fight against anxiety is prayer. Our primary weapon, we've been talking about weapons all morning. This is another one, and it's really the biggest. It's prayer. 
We were just talking about Corey Ten Boom, and she has an awesome quote. She famous, famously says this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare? In other words, do we only pray when we have to? Do we only pray when we hit the wall? Do we only pray when we've tried to work it out and couldn't and like, well, all right, I'll pray. Let me tell you something. Everybody look up here. I know you're writing. You can, you can tend to do that in just a second. Everybody look here. When we try to work something out, an anxiety issue on our own, it only does one thing, adds more anxiety. Prayer should be the first thing we do, not the last. Prayer should be the first thing we do and not the last. I can't read the scripture for time's sake, but in Matthew chapter 14, we get the story of Peter being called out of the boat. Everybody know? He's, he, he, he's the only one who'll come out of the boat, has the faith to step out and to walk on the water. He's the only other person, the only other human we know of that ever have walked on water. And as long as he kept his eyes focused on Christ, he was able to walk on the water. But when he took his eyes off, we know what happens. The anxiety began to fill his spirit and he began to sink immediately. But his response is what I'm after. His response is perfect and his response is what we should do. Let's look at that. Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. That's not a long prayer, is it? It was probably right before his head went under. Lord, say blue. <laughs> Come on, laughter does good like a medicine. That wasn't a, an eloquent, oh my God of many ages, and you are art almighty. Save thouest in my. No. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we think we have to? Lord, save me. His prayer wasn't eloquent, it wasn't long, but it was specific. Save me. Look at the screen. When we pray, we need to be specific. We need to be, not this Lord help my anxiety. Lord help all the starving people of the world. That's so, you know, Lord help my anxiety. That's not, no, you need, if, you, if there is something bothering you, if you are feeling anxious, this is what I learned this week, folks. This is what I was doing this week. It works. You've got to stop and go, what is it that is bothering me? I need to put my finger on it. I need to name it. I need to say it out loud. I need to write it down because when you do that, it loses its power. Write it down and then pray. It may, may be three things. It may be four things. Whatever. Write them all down and then pray. Don't say all of these, Lord. No. Pray specifically over each one. And look at the screen. Here's, here's, what, here's what happens. A specific prayer opens the door to seeing God at work. How, why, Pastor? Because if you have a specific request, there can only be a specific answer. And when you see that specific answer take place in your life, it will build your faith. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. Take the other side of the note card. Now I want you to write down what it is that right now in your life, in this season of your life, 
is causing you anxiety. You don't have to share it with anybody. It's not anybody else's business. It might be one thing, one major thing. It might be two or three major things. Just whatever. Take 30 seconds and write, name it, put your finger on it, and write it down. You can fold it if you want to when you're finished. Nobody else's business. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. You can continue to write. But here's the part that we've been waiting for. Here's the payoff. Paul says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Folks, as we do our part, as we rejoice in the Lord, as we pursue a gentle spirit, as we pray specifically, and as we cling to gratitude, as we do our part, God will do his. And he will give us peace. I'm telling you, he will. Now, here's, here's the kicker. Listen, once that peace comes, and it will, sometimes immediately, how do we keep it? How do we keep that monster of anxiety at bay and outside of our heart? The last verse is the key. And this is the one we forget about. We don't read it. We don't include it. Philippians 4, 8, on the screen. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Folks, we have, we've already said, we are being bombarded with junk 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is so much, listen to me, there is so much garbage in our life sometimes, there's no room for the peace of God. We will never be free of anxiety and worry until we learn to disconnect from the junk, disconnect from the noise, disconnect from the garbage, disconnect from the negativity, and reconnect with our Heavenly Father. Come on, reconnect with Him every single day. It's the only way to keep peace in our society, in any society, anytime. We get the story in Luke chapter 10, can't go there for time's sake, but Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, they, they invite Jesus into their home, their sisters, and they get to entertain the Savior. And so Martha, being a server, remember the servers? Martha, just wanting to administrate and be a server, man, she goes to town making a meal, making sure everything is perfect, making sure the house is clean, making sure everything looks right, but Jesus come. So I got to do all this stuff. And then Mary is in the living room with Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to him teach, and just sitting there. And soon Martha gets so upset, she barges into the prayer meeting, interrupts Jesus and said, aren't you going to do something about my sister? I'm doing all the work. And she's sitting here. And I think Jesus, gentle, remember? Gentle. He gets up and I think he just comes over and she's got red. I mean, he might feel that way sometimes. That's your sister. Anyway, girls, sorry. 
And I think Jesus kind of got cupped her face and just kind of got her attention. And Martha, Martha, you're being distracted. You're being distracted with all of the details. Mary has chosen wisely. Mary is sitting at my feet. She's sitting in my presence. And that's more important. And I'm not going to take that from her. Folks, you cannot go 24 hours of being bombarded with the hell that this world shoves down your throat and not spend a moment with Jesus and expect anxiety not to come. Can I be any more plain? I'm telling you the truth because I absolutely love you and I'm tired of seeing people suffer with anxiety. Because here's the big idea. The presence of anxiety. Next screen. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. Folks, it's unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Folks, let me tell you something. The monster is going to be at the door. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. As soon as you step out, sometimes even as you get up in the morning, it's there. It's, it's, it's waiting, to, it's crouching, waiting to jump on you. That is unavoidable. But the prison being held captive by anxiety is an option. I am telling you in the name of Jesus, you can be free and I can be free. He wants us free. You don't have this in the back. God gave me this scripture late last night. Can I give you one more and then we'll close? One more? No? Okay. Very late last night, God reminded me of this passage, Matthew 11, 28. Jesus, red letters, says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle. There's our word again. And lowly in heart, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we're doing what Jesus asks us to do and not what we're trying to force He will give us rest, and he will bring peace. Come to me. Come 